Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together to seek out the principles of your word together. Lord, this morning, I know many are hurting. I pray that you would give comfort and grace and peace. And Lord, for each one of us, that you would challenge us in our relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin Luke 6, Jesus is once again having a confrontation with the religious leaders about the Sabbath. I'd like to begin this morning with a little background on the Sabbath, how it was instituted and what it had become. The Sabbath, it was a command that God gave as part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, we read the Ten Commandments beginning in verse, 11, or verse 8 through 11, speaking of the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That term Sabbath, it means to cease. It was set aside to cease from work, to rest, and to worship God. And God had demonstrated this principle when at the end of creation He rested on the seventh day. Now, God didn't need to rest. But he did it as an example. Both Matthew and Mark share this same narrative we'll be looking at here in Luke chapter 6. And in Mark's account, in Mark chapter 2 verse 27, it says, And he, Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath was established as a gift, not a burden. It was a time that would be set aside to focus on God, but man had turned it into a burdensome list of regulations and restrictions. The Pharisees considered themselves the guardians of the Sabbath. Here are just a few of the foolish Sabbath restrictions that were added over the years. I'll just share a few. There is a long list of these silly and foolish regulations and restrictions but here's a few an object tossed in the air could be caught with the same hand but if it was caught with the other hand it was a sabbath violation it was forbidden to carry anything heavier than a dried fig clothes could not be examined or shaken out before being put on because an insect might be killed and and that process would be considered work Cold water could be poured into warm water, but not warm water into cold. And I'm not sure the reasoning for that one. Bathing was forbidden because water could be spilled on the floor, and that could be construed as washing the floor. Moving a chair was not allowed. It had dirt floors, and it might make a rut in the dirt floor, and that looked too much like plowing. And you could go on and on with all of these silly regulations and restrictions that they had placed upon the Sabbath. They also found ways that they could circumvent the regulations. The religious leaders were very good at this. One example would be travel. There was only a certain distance that they could travel on a Sabbath. 
But what they would do sometimes is before the Sabbath, they would place a chair or place food or make a temporary doorway that distance away from their house. And so then they would go and they would stop there at that chair or that doorway or, or that box of food. And, and they would consider that their new residence for the day. And then they could travel that distance further again. So it became a, a, a set of silly regulations, restrictions, and people plotted ways that they could circumvent these regulations and restrictions that have been established. So here in Luke chapter 6, in the first five verses, we find a Sabbath confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees that took place in a field. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 5 of Luke chapter 6. It says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his, that's Jesus, disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? What, did, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So they had a, a law or a provision where if you were there by a field and it was time, the, the harvest was ready, you could actually take and, and you could eat some of the grain. Now you couldn't take it and, and, and reap it and take it back to your house, but while you were there you could have that and that helped the poor and the needy or if somebody was really hungry to be able to, to do that. And that was a very positive thing, helping those in need. And so we see that the disciples were hungry and it was time for the harvest and so they grabbed some of the grain. They, they rubbed it in their hands. I'm sure they probably blew out the chaff and, and then they ate it. But the Pharisees were watching. Now the first question is why were the Pharisees out there in this field watching the disciples? We'll see the reason here shortly but we can come to the obvious conclusion they were just looking for ways to judge and to accuse but the Pharisees said that what they did broke the Sabbath law they felt that the activity of picking the grain rubbing it in their hands probably blowing off the chaff eating it acted and was was actually reaping threshing winnowing and preparing a meal which were things that you were not supposed to do on the Sabbath day. We do have to understand that the Pharisees were wrong. The disciples violated rabbinic tradition, but not the Mosaic law. And so Jesus responded to their accusation with a story from 1 Samuel 21 of David as he was running from King Saul. King Saul was chasing David and his men, and, and they were, David and his men were very hungry, and they came to a place called Nob. And there was a priest named Ahimelech, and this priest allowed them to eat the consecrated bread that had been on the table of showbread in the holy of, or excuse me, the holy place. <coughs> excuse me. 
Let me explain a little bit of the background. So they would have there in the holy place, they would have some different things. And, and one of the things they had there was the table of showbread. And each Sabbath, they would put 12 loaves, the priest would put 12 loaves of bread there on the table of showbread in the holy place. And then the next Sabbath, they would take those out and put 12 new loaves in. But those 12s that had been in there in the, on the table of showbread and were taken out, the priests could eat, but no one else could eat. But when David and his men came and they were very hungry, Ahimelech didn't have other food to give them, so he gave them those loaves of bread that he had taken out of the holy place. Bread that was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. But Ahimelech understood that it was never wrong to do right. He understood that the needs of men were more important than the letter of the law. And so then Jesus concluded this confrontation by pointing out once again His authority and His deity. said that He, as the Son of Man, was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the one with the authority over the Sabbath, not the religious leaders. And once again, the confrontation and the religious leaders recognizing that Jesus in making that statement was claiming to be God. Now as we go on to verses 6-11, through 11, we see another Sabbath confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders that took place a short time later. Another Sabbath. We don't know if it was one week later or two. We don't know. It doesn't say. But this time it was in the synagogue and Jesus healed a man that had a withered hand. So we see this healing on the Sabbath in verses 6 through 11. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. <clears throat> and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, that's to the religious leaders, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they, the religious leaders, were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now again, there were all kinds of restrictions that were, were placed on the Sabbath. And they had restrictions concerning medical care. There were only two actions that were allowed involving medical care. The first was this, a, wid a midwife could assist in the delivery of a baby. And a section, second action allowed was that a physician could help someone when it was considered a life or death situation but only if it was considered life or death, if they felt they could make it through the Sabbath, just to live with it. And we'll talk to you when the Sabbath's over. Again, these regulations were foolish. And they put the law over people. And these religious leaders were once again looking for a way to accuse Jesus. Remember what it said there in verse 7. The, Pharisee, the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal 
on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. They weren't concerned about the man with the withered hand. <coughs> Excuse me, they were concerned about finding a way to accuse Christ. But Jesus could read their thoughts. Again, another reminder that he was Almighty God, he is all knowing. He recognized their intentions. And so he called for the man with the withered hand to come up. And before he healed the man, he asked the religious leaders a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? Now this question put the scribes and the Pharisees in a corner. You see, if they said it was lawful to do good, then they were not able to accuse Jesus when he healed the man. But if they said he would be doing evil then they would expose their lack of compassion, their evil hearts and evil intentions. So they remained silent. And Jesus went ahead and healed the man. And then we find that instead of rejoicing with the man, the scribes and Pharisees were angry. They were more concerned about following the law than helping people. They didn't grasp what God desires. The mindset of the scribes and the Pharisees could be described in this quote from William Barclay. William Barclay writes this, It is possible to read the Scripture meticulously, to know the Bible inside out from cover to cover, to be able to quote it verbatim and to pass any examination on it, and yet completely miss its real meaning. That's a great description of these religious leaders. They knew their Bible, their Old Testament. They could quote large portions of it, but it did not affect their life. And we can have that same struggle. We can hear and study God's Word, but it needs to be more than just gaining knowledge. It needs to change our life. And we see in verse 11 that they were filled with rage. And this word rage means folly. Or another definition is the idea of without reason, acting unreasonably out of control. And now the religious leaders, as we've seen in the last couple chapters of Luke, have been having these confrontations with Jesus. It seems like here the anger goes to another level, and here they begin to plot on how they could stop or destroy Him. So we see the, the battle over the Sabbath, and the foolish restrictions and regulations that they had placed upon the Sabbath completely missing the point. But we see what took place then. We're no longer under the Sabbath. So how does this affect our lives today? A couple things that I'd like us to think about as we consider the Sabbath today. First, we are not under the regulations of the Old Testament law. We don't have the law of the Sabbath that we are called or commanded to follow. The law was for the nation of Israel. And 
they were to follow it to demonstrate their obedience and their faith, but it also pointed to the need of a Savior. Galatians 3.24 tells us that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It helps us recognize our failures, our sin, and our need of a Savior. We are under God's grace. We are still called to obey and follow Christ. But God's forgiveness and grace is what provides our salvation. Not only are we not under the regulations of the Old Testament law, but we're not to attempt to demonstrate our godliness through fulfilling and following a set of regulations for others to observe. We can follow the, or fall into the same trap of the Jews. The Jews, they struggled with this trap seen in today's passage and many others. We can have an improper goal of attempting to earn our salvation or of following a set of external actions to impress others. The Pharisees tried both of these. They would try to earn their salvation by following the law. And they would try to impress the people around them as those around them would observe their lives. You see, the religious leaders used the Sabbath to judge or to impress others. To impress others, the idea of, look at me. To judge others, look at you. And so they would use the Sabbath in many ways as a weapon as they strove to, uh, to judge the people around them and as a way to demonstrate their pride. So we see that things that Sabbath is not. But is the Sabbath helpful for us today? Well, we need to take time to rest and to focus on God. Psalm 46.10, which we sang about right before the message this morning. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus challenging us to the attitude and actions that we should have. says in verses 28 through 30 of Matthew 11, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our rest must be in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. We see that our lives are busy. If you ask people how things are going, an amazingly high percentage will tell you, I have no time. I'm so busy. Life is a blur. I'm just surviving. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, shares a list of ten symptoms he calls the symptoms of hurry sickness. So as I read through them and describe them, I encourage you to uh, maybe keep track on how you do, how many out of ten may reflect your actions and attitudes. So these ten symptoms. First is irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or annoyed way too easily. How about hypersensitivity? Little things set you off. Restlessness. When you do slow down, you can't relax. 
Workaholism. You don't know when to stop. Emotional numbness. You don't feel pain. Your pain or the pain of others. You have out of order priorities. You get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent. You bypass what's most important. You have a lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Good sleep, eating right, exercise. You may fall into escapist behaviors. You turn to distractions to escape from reality. Binging, overindulging, addictions. You have a slippage of spiritual disciplines. Things that are life-giving are often the first to go when you feel that you have no time. And finally, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. We get caught up in the busyness of life. And we don't stop. We aren't still listening to God. Another black hole we're drawn into is how we can waste our time on what's not important. We have filled our lives with things that can consume our time. Not necessarily bad things, but things that just take our minutes, our hours, our days, our years. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. And they're on their phone for two and a half hours each day. Now some of you are going, oh. And others are going, that's all right, I have an Android. <laughs> Sorry, the survey was about iPhone, but I'm guessing if you have an Android, the results would be fairly similar. It's interesting that we've invented a multitude of things that save time, but we still seem to have so much less of it. And often we allow what is most important to get squeezed out. Corey Ten Boom said it this way, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. What happens? Both sin and busyness cut off our connection with God, our connection with others, and even our connection with our own soul. John Ortberg said this, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. We get so busy with the things of life that we forget what's most important. Our time with God. Our focus on Him our reliance upon Him, our worship of Him. The Sabbath. Obviously, the <clears throat> religious leaders, the people of Israel, had turned it into a, a silly set of rules and regulations. But God gave that Sabbath for a reason. And our goal is not to make a rule or a new Sabbath law. But I want to challenge you. What are you doing? To not get caught up in the rules and regulations, but also to not get caught up in the busyness of life. 
and forget what's most important. When I uh, went to seminary, I, I, as most of you know, I grew up in Bozeman and Belgrade, and, but I went to seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we had some friends of ours that lived in Minneapolis. It was an older couple. They had just retired, and, and uh, so they lived there in Minneapolis, and they offered that I could stay with them when I first went to Minneapolis as I was starting uh, seminary. And uh, the seminary started the end of August, so I packed all my things, and I went went out there, and I was going to stay at their house until I found some other uh, guys I could rent a place with and find a place to live there. And and so anyway, uh, they were just a really neat, neat couple. And they were so gracious... And, uh, I mean, they took me in, they spoiled me a little bit, but we were having a conversation shortly after I arrived there, and they, you know, they were telling me, you know, just whatever you need to do, whatever you need, you know, refrigerators there, things like that, very gracious. But then they shared, and so we just need to let you know on Sunday we do things a little different. We just feel we really need to, to slow down and focus on God. So we've chosen, obviously, going to church on Sunday. But then Sunday afternoon, we just take time, spend it with each other, maybe spend some time in prayer, some reading, things like that. So that's what we'll be doing on Sunday afternoon. Now, there's a little backlight to the story here. You see, I went to Minneapolis for two reasons. One is to go to seminary, and one is I could be a lot closer to the Vikings and the Twins, and and I'm not sure the order of what I was most excited about. And and this is the mid-80s, so it's not like you could have, you know, all of these uh, NFL Sunday stuff like that. So, So growing up, I hardly got to see the Vikings. They weren't on the radio either because we were in Montana, and so, you know, I was so much, I was excited. They're going to be on TV every Sunday. This will be great. Now, there was a part I intentionally left out. Another thing that this couple did on Sunday, not as a rule, but just a choice they made, was that they didn't turn the TV on on Sunday because it could distract them from their time with God. Oh. Now... I know in your mind you're saying Buffalo Wild Wings, <laughs> right? I mean, how, what, 27, 34, however many TVs, you know? Well, this was 1985. Buffalo Wild Wings, I, I looked this up. Buffalo Wild Wings was started in Ohio in 1982, and it was only just in 1985, just a few different uh, places, nowhere near Minneapolis. Plus, I had no money. I was a, a starving seminary student. So that wasn't an option. And they didn't tell me I couldn't turn the TV on. But I knew the guilt I would feel if I did. But things got better in about a month and a half. I had met some friends, some other guys, and we got an apartment together. And so every Sunday afternoon we could turn that TV on and watch the Vikings lose. But... You know, I considered that, oh, this is going to be great. (laughs) But I should have looked at it the other way. 
Now, am I telling you you shouldn't watch NFL football? No, I'm not telling you that. But I am challenging you with this. What are you doing to be still and know that he is God? What are you doing to stop and to focus on him? And maybe there's some other things that have crowded out God in your life. And you've become too busy to spend the time you need with Him, knowing Him, learning more about Him, worshiping Him. And it may look different in your life than in the life of the person sitting near you. But the question is still there What are you doing? to be still, and to know that he is God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love, your blessing in our lives. And thank you that you loved us so much you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, help us as we respond to you to respond with worship. Lord, not a simple set of external rules and regulations, not a way to earn our salvation or impress others, but Lord, help us to draw near to you. And Lord, that our lives may be a reflection of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.